You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Why? Why do you want to be burned? And you're like, man, I knew I shouldn't have come to this giving series. Um, Why do you want to be burned? That was a real question my nine-year-old daughter brought up to me in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru a few weeks ago. She asked me, why, why do you want to be burned? Now, to be fair, uh, my, my children probably were not ready to have a conversation about cremation, but the, the question kind of still floated in the car, why do you want to be burned? And I, I looked into her, her curious eyes from the rearview mirror and said, baby, I don't, I don't want to be burned. But our bodies are, you know, they're just a shell. This body, your body, is not who you are. You have a, a soul that exists after death. This is just temporary. And she listened and, and sat there quietly. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that was my best or most helpful moment as a dad, but I'm also not going to sugarcoat things to my child. Um, I made the decision a long time ago that I would not talk down to my own children. So she brought it up and she got an honest answer. So while she didn't really respond from the back seat, it it certainly made me start to think. Do we believe that we have a soul? A question in our fast-paced never-ending, never-pondering, always-going world we find ourselves in. Do we ever stop and think, is this all that there is? Is this material reality all that is reality? Is this skin? Is this flesh? Are these bones all that there is? Because at the core of orthodox teaching, we must be followers of Christ. I believe there's more to this than just what can be seen, a people of the word that believe in the eternal proclamation of Romans 2, starting in verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, and he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, Do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. So stop. Just stop right now. And think for a moment that this mortal body is just a shell that is wasting away. We can make it stronger. We can clothe it. We can put makeup on it. But it's just a shell with an expiration date. We have an eternal soul. R.C. Sproul, he put it like this. In the creation imagery, man's body is formed first, but the body without the soul remains lifeless. So when God breathes the breath of life into the body, then man becomes a living soul. In this account, there's no hint of an eternal or pre-existent human soul. The soul is as much a creation as is the body. 
That the soul survives the grave is not a testimony to its indestructibility or of its intrinsic immortality. The soul as a created entity is mortal. It survives the grave only because it is sustained and preserved by the power of God. It is preserved for eternal felicity for the redeemed, and it is preserved for the eternal punishment for the damned. Do we believe we have a soul? Because if we do, if, if, if we are in Christ, the promise of the Bible is that when this mortal body fails, we will be given a glorified eternal body for our glorified and eternal soul. And if you're thinking, you know what, that sounds really weird, well then what's your alternative? Is it an eternal non-existence? Because the gospel has better news with a better promise. The promise of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, and that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why say all of that? I mean, does your, does your bulletin not like say, I think this was a giving series? Well, because of verse 58. Let me, let me finish 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, where he writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, if, if the soul is real, because it is, if the immortal body is real, because it is, if the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus is real, because it is, then why would you or I give our lives to anything else? Should we not invest our time, and yes, even our money, for the sake of the gospel, to save souls from a very real eternal hell? This isn't a series of empty promises or emotional manipulation to empty your bank accounts out of guilt. This is my desperate plea for us to give our lives to something eternal. A plea for myself, a plea for you to see what really matters, to invest your time in something eternal, to invest prayers in something eternal, to invest money in something eternal. Like God help us to see what will matter 10,000 years from today. So let me show you a man that got it. I have no coincidence, a man that we looked at last week from the same letter. This is the story of a man that gave up his life to follow Jesus and then found himself in a Roman prison. This is the story of a local church that financially supported those that proclaim the gospel. This is Philippians 4. So We'll be there this morning. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out the ESV. Um, you have a bulletin, it's all there in your bulletin. But before we study the passage together, let's pray together. Father, we confess, uh, I confess, how often we get so 
wrapped up in everything around us. All the, the material realities around us, all the, the situations, the things to worry about. Do we not see that people have souls? Do we not notice that we have a soul that will exist after we breathe our last? A soul that will be glorified, that spends eternity in a glorified body with the Father, spends eternity with you, or a soul that spends eternity in hell, God, that the stakes are that high. So God, forgive us for being so wrapped up in a fast-paced world that we don't even notice that. God, teach us from Philippians 4 what it means to be individuals in a church that cares about more than what is just temporary. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Every fruitful ministry is birthed from a vision. Not wishful thinking, not platform building, but a vision from the Lord, affirmed in the word, confirmed by the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is not exempt from that reality. Like he wanted to go one way, and the Lord wanted to go the other, and he wanted to preach the gospel, you know, a good thing, in certain cities. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, stopped him. So we can make our plans as we should, but as the, it is the Lord who directs our steps. And so the sun rose in the sky and then began to settle in the night, and Paul had a vision. Not his vision, but a vision from the Lord. It's in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 9. So a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so it all began, a vision from the Lord for the gospel to go to the land in Macedonia. Paul did not question that calling. Paul did not wait for like just the right time. Paul immediately got himself up and made plans to set sail. So starting in verse 11, Acts 16, starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, he, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. Then on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come to gather. One of who one heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Don't you see it? That, that the good news of Jesus came to the city of Philippi that the first convert wasn't a powerful religious leader, but, but a powerful, wealthy businesswoman from 
Thyatira. That's the beginning of the church in Philippi. So it isn't some passing affection between Paul and the church. It was this deep, uh, loving longing for each other. In Paul's own words, Philippians chapter 1, starting verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. The church at Philippi, born in a woman's prayer meeting by the river, Paul had been in the ministry trenches with them in the city. So just look at the way he writes about them in Philippians 4. So Philippians 4, we're going to back it up, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So yeah, we believe that the role of elders in the church is given to men. Yes, we need more godly men in the local church, but the church in Philippi would not exist without the faithful ministry of women. East River Park would not be as healthy as it currently is without faithful, strong, godly, godly women who have labored with us side by side for the sake of the gospel. Paul loves this church of Philippi, and this church loves Paul. So with all that being said, with all of the context before us, let's look at the one verse together. Paul in prison writes these words. We'll just focus on verse 10 for today. This is what verse 10 says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you, you had no opportunity. So I'm going to pose this question for us this morning. Like, what should we care about? I mean, that is the question we'll answer from verse 10. Like, out of all the things to be consumed with as individuals, work, raising kids, juggling finances, buying groceries, getting the laundry done, working on the house, managing your to-do list, out of all the things to be consumed about and concerned about as a church, planning events, Maintaining the church property, organizing programs, putting together the church calendar. Like, out of all the things to care about and be concerned about, none of those are wrong. All of them are necessary. But is it possible that we're doing something wrong when we only care about the things that the early church was not consumed with? Is it possible that we're working hard and focusing on all of the wrong things? What should we care about in light of eternity? In light of souls at stake, what should we really care about? So by no means is this an exhaustive list, but it is a list the church in Philippi cared about in verse 10. So what should we care about? I'll give you a few things. Here's point one if you're a note taker. We should care about the persecuted. 
we should care about the persecuted. We, I mean, we've stated the obvious. Paul has not had an easy going as he has followed Christ, that the cost to proclaim the hope of Jesus has thrown him in prison more than once from chains to house arrest, prison, still prison. Paul is living out 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like Paul knows what it means to hurt for the sake of Christ. To what extent does he know that? Well, let me, let me just let him speak for himself. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil, hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And, and apart from other things, there's just this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So it is surprising that we read verse 10 when he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Really? Why, Paul? Didn't you, I mean, did you just forget what's happened in the past and what's probably coming for you? No, he, he rejoiced greatly because the local church had revived their concern for him. Simply, they're aware of his position, and they themselves are they're deeply worried and anxious about Paul. We even care. I know we like to think we're a persecuted lot in the Bible Belt. Someone says they want to take down our crosses on the mountain and we melt like martyrs. I'm not, I'm not saying persecution isn't growing or coming for us. It is. But seriously, I mean, we are not experiencing a 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 28 moment. But you know, there, there are a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that are right now. Do we not care that there are, there are brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted in Israel, in Palestine, across the Middle East? One in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa. Two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. So since 2023 just ended, let me give you those stats. 4,542 Christians were detained. 2,110 churches were attacked. 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith. Do we not care? Let me tell you why I don't think we do. I do not remember the last time I saw a prayer for the persecuted in our church prayer list. I didn't write one either. Why is it that the American church has the most money and resources in all of church history and the least amount of concern 
for those that are being beaten, mocked, and killed for the sake of the gospel? Will we start praying? Will we start giving to the missionaries that are on the battlefield? Will, will this church care more than just our own needs and our own desires as the pastor of this church? Like, do I even care? I think I need to start. What should we care about? Let me give you two. We should care about the physical needs. Physical needs. So Paul... Uh, a Roman citizen in a Roman prison. He was given a, a daily food allowance. Doesn't mean he was released to go down the street so he can pick up a Powell's burger. Like he, he depended upon the, the gracious provision of his friends and, and other believers. They were the ones that supplied clothing and his meals while he sat in jail. Here's a picture of what that might have looked like, a prison that Paul might have been in. Yeah, so Paul's a tent maker, was able to make money for himself. And yes, there's even times where Paul turned down financial support from believers. But here's clear evidence that that was not always the case. That as Paul devoted himself to the gospel ministry, he absolutely received financial support from the local churches. I'll prove it. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 8. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Weird verse. And when I was with you and, I, and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Certainly a lot to say on those verses, but he had physical needs that needed met just like everyone else. And physical needs require physical funds, so the local church faithfully supplied. We even care. When we see the physical needs of the local church, or the physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, do we care? I know life has gotten impossibly expensive. I know the grocery budget is blown. I know you've got yours, you and yours to take care of, and you should. But we don't look out for just our own interest. Philippians 2, starting verse 3, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Yeah, I, I get it. Not everyone in an, is in a position to financially meet the needs of others. I think that's at least a possibility of what has happened in Philippians 4, verse 10. When Paul writes, you were indeed concerned for me, you didn't have the opportunity. Maybe they did have the money, but couldn't get it to him. Or maybe they didn't have the money at the time. So as the pastor of this church, I, like, I will never tell you to give financially what you do not have. I mean, it is possible this morning that you, you deeply care about the physical needs of this church and Christians uh, in this community and around the world, but you do not have the opportunity to fin financially support them right now. I will never pressure you to give what you do not have. But I will be transparent. 
we started a, a yearly giving series uh, probably around four years ago and was really hesitant with that. I don't think anyone wants to do it. I just knew, I knew it was going to be healthy for myself and for the church. And I promised then and uh, will promise now, I will be nothing but transparent about it all. Some of us don't financially support the ministry of the gospel because life has not been kind and we are struggling just to keep our head above the water. You care, you really do. You just don't have the opportunity right now. And that's, you know, that's okay. You are deeply loved. But some of us don't financially support the ministry of the gospel because we don't budget anything. And then we spend every dime we got on things that don't eternally matter. If that's you, I get it. I've been there too often, but let me challenge you to do something healthy about that since, as Matthew mentioned, it is a new year. If you attend this church and you don't have a personal budget, we will pay to help you with that, as we have done for the past two or three years. I promise you, we will take money out of benevolence and pay for a year of budgeting software uh, and training for you. Like you can e you can privately talk to me about that or email the church. We'll, we'll do that in confidentiality. Budgeting software has changed my financial life. Um, it's not only made me less anxious, but it has allowed me to be a more cheerful financial giver. So my wife and I, um, we get paid twice a month. So I go online and, and give twice a month to this local church, to East River Park. Um, we also give to, to two nonprofits, and then we give to two overseas uh, missionaries. That, come, that comes out automatically every month. I budget that. The local church giving and missionaries are two separate line items in our personal budget. And I don't say any of that with pride or arrogance. I just, growing up in church, I just wish someone was that clear and transparent with me um, when they talked about this. Some of you all can't do that. You don't have the opportunity right now, I get it. There's absolutely no shame, but for many of us, most of us, let us care for the physical needs of this church and individuals through real, tangible action. First John, chapter three, starting verse 16, by this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This church has physical needs. We have over 10 acres of property. There's upkeep. There are utilities. There's salaries. There's programs. There's ministry funds. This church has, has physical needs to be met with financial giving. This church has individuals with physical needs. We gave over $9,000 out of benevolence in 2023 to meet physical needs of individuals connected to this church. Like the church in Philippi, for those with the opportunity, let us care about these physical needs with action. Why? Why should you do that? Why would I give money each month? Because a lot of financial advisors would tell me to stop doing that. 
They would tell me that I'm, I am young enough to be wasting precious years of investing more money into retirement. They're telling me, you know, you could pay down debt a lot faster if you didn't give that money. Why do I do this? Well, the same reason the local church has done this for 2,000 years. What should we care about? Let me give you the last one. We should care about the mission. Care about the mission. It is possible that Paul has not heard from this church in Philippi for a while, which is why he wrote in verse 10 that it was now at length you have revived your concern for me. But these were not like old high school buddies. There wasn't like some old business partners reuniting. No, the connection between Paul and this church was rooted in the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, starting verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul and the church cared about the mission. It wasn't about building the biggest, coolest church in Macedonia. It was about the defense and the confirmation of the gospel that Christ died, that Christ rose from the dead, that the mission of the gospel was being spread in the church and in the city. Is that what we care about? You know, because I don't hear that from a lot of people. Is this our prayer? We pray about a lot of things in this church, but is this our prayer? That our love grows more and more and more, that our love might grow in knowledge, discernment, that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness of Christ Jesus for his glory, not our own. Do we care about the mission of the gospel? Because churches don't die or implode because they cared so deeply about love, knowledge, discernment, the fruits of righteousness. Churches don't die because they cared too much about the gospel. Does the East River Park care about the mission? Not your mission, not your vision, but the vision of the Lord to see the gospel go to the nations. I, I, me and Matthew did not sit down together and plan, hey, you say, read the Great Commission during communion and I'll bring it up during the sermon. We didn't do that. But here's what's happening. The vision of the Lord doesn't say, go out and wait for someone to minister to you. Go out and be discipled by someone else. No, the vision of the Lord, the Great Commission, is to baptize his disciples and teach them all that has been commanded. It is the gospel mission to get out of your own head and go disciple someone else. Does East River Park even care about that? Because I know that is why the church in Philippi so deeply cared about Paul. It wasn't because Paul was Paul. It was because they were about something far greater than themselves, the call to press on, the gospel mission. So it started in the fall. 
few missionary friends, uh, they, they started to reach out. Some of them, I, I, you know, I had not heard from them in many years. So we set up some FaceTime calls to reconnect, and it was, it was good to see them. It was good to hear that they're doing well, still in the ministry. Got a lot of friends went to Bible college with um, that are not in vocational ministry anymore. And so some of them have even given up the faith. So I was encouraged in these conversations. And, you know, each conversation started out the same. We talked about the past. And then we talked about the ministry now, and then each conversation ended the same, pretty normal. Would your church consider partnering with us? First, we need prayer, but we also are looking to raise funds before the end of the year. Conversation after conversation was the same. There were financial needs among those that proclaim the gospel. And if I can be really honest, kind of got annoying. I know we care about the same things, but I kind of got tired of people asking me and our church for money. And my guess is that some of you all might have felt the same way at times. And then in December, I found myself sending out church emails each week asking for financial support to hit the East River Park end of the year budget. And I don't know how well that was received maybe you were a little annoyed too money is tight for a lot of people and then here's all these missionaries and nonprofits and churches asking for more and this week i didn't I didn't bring it up but this week i heard a local church pastor tell me like i don't know about you all but our church finances have been tight so to be transparent i was annoyed i was annoyed that people were asking me for money and i was annoyed that i was doing the same so I've been praying about my attitude and all of that because what I've started to realize is, you know, I don't think 2023 was some off year because of inflation. I don't think it helped, but it, something else is wrong. The truth is the administration or the economy is not to blame alone. Only 3 to 5% of Americans give to their local church through regular giving. Christians today are financially giving 2.5% of their income. Christians were giving 3.3% of their income during the Great Depression. So it is very likely that the American church has just stopped caring so much about what eternally matters. We are failing to see what is at stake we're failing to see physical needs. We're failing to see the mission. And we need a renewed heart for what matters. I need a renewed heart for what matters. What should we care about? Among many things, we must care for those that proclaim the gospel. That's your main point, and then I'll pray together. We must care for those that proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. God, you know my heart, and you know that this message is not for someone else, and it's, and it's not for me. This is a message for me, for me to see what actually matters, for me to be conscious of, of how I'm viewing eternity. But as I'm given the opportunity to meet 
the physical needs of those that proclaim the gospel of God to meet the needs um, of those that we have locked arms for, for the mission. Is that what we care about as a church? Is that what I care about as a pastor? Because I often don't. So God give us a renewed heart um, and, and a submission to whatever you would call us to do. I would pray these things in your son's name. Amen.